Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love acceptance and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. And I've prepared what I think is a fun topic today. I've called it stick with it and quit promptly because both are incredibly important. Um, And, you know, my history, (laughs) my history I've talked about, which was as a perfectionist. So I had a tendency to stick with things that actually uh, probably it would have been better for me to quit. And so I was a pretty good stick with it person, but I also know that when things are difficult and uncomfortable, it can be very, it can be very difficult to stick with something. And so I want to break that down today and talk about how to get through something that's uncomfortable when sticking with it is the right choice for you. And then I also want to talk about when sticking with it is not the right choice for you and how quitting um, I used to say about myself, I need to become a better quitter. Um, I, I'm doing pretty well in that in that department, really. I've quit some stuff um, without a lot of fan, fanfare and without sticking with it too long and staying too long. And so both uh, both are uh, incredibly important, I I think, to our to our human experience. Um, our human life is filled with discomfort, right? It can be uh, you can be joyful and uncomfortable all at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Some people are actually uncomfortable being joyful, which is one of the reasons that they have trouble uh, coaxing it into their lives. Maybe it's foreign or maybe it brings with it a certain amount of fear or maybe it's triggering in some way. So even something that is meant to be pleasurable, um, such as joy, can actually also be uncomfortable. Learning to be uncomfortable with discomfort uh, can be one of the most helpful ways of retraining our mind and our body to face whatever life brings our way. It's completely natural to avoid, run from, and numb discomfort. This is what drives the plethora of anesthesia behaviors that pepper our lives. Perhaps you watch TV endlessly, you eat your eat or drink yourself into a stupor, you exercise until your joints ache, or maybe you injure yourself. Perhaps you buy things to add to all the other things that already fill your drawers and your closets and your house. Or maybe you focus on what's wrong with the way you you look or what you think is wrong with the way you look and go down a rabbit hole of researching products and procedures to, to try to fix it. None of these behaviors get you to the source of the discomfort. They temporarily numb, which is what anesthesia does, but they often cause their own consequences. And by avoiding the source, which I call the SOS, the source of suffering, um, by avoiding the source, that SOS beacon, sometimes the, the discomfort after we've finished numbing it, um, not only do we have the consequences of the numbing, if there are some, but sometimes that discomfort just comes roaring back even stronger. Like many things, avoiding 
doesn't typically work. So avoiding can leave something to simmer and it's just, it just continues to always be there, but it can also leave it to build and become, you know, bigger and harder to address. So as uncomfortable as it is to uncover what is going on, it is far less of a spend ultimately and a big earn because you begin to really understand yourself and your experience in life and you gain dominion over it. You gain the skills and abilities that you need to manage your internal and external life in a way that serves you, that gives you the you that you want to experience and also gives you the life that you want to experience. So if avoiding running and numbing don't work, what to do? So I have a few suggestions about what to do in terms of discomfort. The first one is become comfortable with discomfort. Now you've probably heard that maybe. And if you're listening, you might be thinking, well, great. Thanks a lot. (laughs) That's not really what I was looking for. Here's the thing though. This is kind of the secret sauce uh, of this particular topic, in my opinion. Because once we accept it, right, we talk about acceptance on the show, and it's not just about accepting ourselves, it's also about accepting life on life's terms and accepting human life um, for what it is and telling the truth about it. The reason that I think it's it's the secret sauce here is that when we become comfortable with it, when we accept it as a normal part of our existence, we are much less likely to react to it in a way that is not helpful to us. Um, We simply see it for what it is. It's kind of like noticing a thought instead of believing the thought, although discomfort typically manifests in a more physical and emotional and psychological way. It it depends. Um, But even physical discomfort typically triggers emotional and psychological discomfort. So um, it, you know, we're all attached. We're our, our bodies and our minds and our, and our spirits, et cetera, are all, all attached. So, okay. Becoming comfortable with discomfort. So I just, I chose a few recent examples in my own life to explain this. Um, and many of them I've talked about on the show. So I'm not going to take deep dives into these. Um, if you're a regular listener, listener, you'll, you'll kind of have the background on these. And if not, I'll give you just enough. I got off of pretty much all of the pharmaceuticals. So all of the pharmaceuticals that I was taking for depression, anxiety, insomnia, um, and night sweats, ultimately those were kind of the main, oh, and my skin. Yeah. I took a drug to have clear skin for many, many years without knowing if I still needed it. And so far. Um, I guess I didn't need it anymore. Uh, so that's that's the good news. So getting off of those pharmaceuticals was uncomfortable. And I had tried it before and I knew it was going to be uncomfortable, but I didn't get very far in terms of the number of days of total abstinence because all of my other attempts, I would make it to day one or two. And then I would typically get feedback that I wasn't myself, which you know did seem true um, to the people that I was interacting with because I had a bit of an edge to me that they, that they weren't used to. And then because I was afraid of not performing or disappointing people, 
um, I would go right back on. I would think, oh, I can't do it. I'm, I've got to go back on. So, you know, I really didn't have a lot of experience of being completely abstinent for, you know, many days. And so it took a couple of months. I mean, it was a couple of months of being uncomfortable, not all day, every day, but every day for sure. And it came in waves and it was physical and it was psychological and it was emotional. And my body would kind of flood with anxiety. And certainly I began, you know, my insomnia that's been with me since I was a teenager, um, of course, became more prominent because I wasn't uh, treating it with the pharmaceuticals. And I'm done with the withdrawal and I feel better than I felt in many years, better than I felt when I was on them. My anxiety is almost non-existent. I mean, when I, it's, it's, it's like that thing where you live with something every day of your life for so long that all of a sudden you realize that you haven't been living with it and you don't even know how long it's been because you're not thinking about it. You're not dealing with it. You're not spending your energy to manage it. So it just doesn't happen very often. And, and a little bit of anxiety that is situational where we, we know the cause of it is normal. That's normal for a human being. So the goal isn't to be completely you know, free of it, but the generalized anxiety that, that ate away at me for years is gone. And I'm off all of those pharmaceuticals. And I would never have gotten to experience that if I didn't push through the discomfort. I also uh, broke up with my partner recently and, you know, I, it was difficult and I still had love and I still, you know, liked him and, and I still, you know, was no longer hopeful that it would work out. I knew that it, I knew that it would not work out, but I also, you know, I had to let go of kind of the, the dream of the future and what we had planned in the future. And so, you know, I went through, through quite, you know, quite a lot of grief, although I was pretty efficient. I've become an efficient griever. So, you know, I just let it in full force and, you know, tried to just get through it um, as it came. And recently I had a conversation with him and, you know, he, he did not want the, the breakup. And so he said a lot of things, including apologizing and acknowledging and taking accountability, at least verbally for some of the things that occurred and, you know, telling me that things would not be the same in the future. And I knew that what was right for me was to hold that boundary and to maintain my decision. And it was uncomfortable. It, it brought a fresh swath of grief because he didn't feel like he could be in contact at all. And he wanted to delete all of our photos and stuff like that, which is that's his that is his prerogative. And however it is that he heals um, is is up to him it was a little bit painful for me. And so I didn't react to it. I understood it and I acknowledged it. And I just went ahead and felt it for the number of days that I felt it. Um, and it started to dissipate. It still comes a little bit here and there um, in a wave. And he sent me a photo after he told me that he probably wasn't going to be in contact with me anymore. Um, so, you know, you, I get a little, a little wave of something when that happens, but then I return to myself and I return to what I know and I return to what I know is right for me. And I just don't react. I don't, I don't react um, to the discomfort. And I've already mentioned my insomnia and I'll just say, um, I'm using this really cool app and I'm, I'm going to be working with them. 
I'm going to have a partnership with them. And so pretty soon I'll have a, uh, a code for you. So if you're interested in the app, um, you'll get a nice discount. I'm using Stellar Sleep. And so hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll have that collaboration settled and I'll be able to give you a, a link so that you'll get a nice discount if you would like to try cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. I'm, I'm getting over six hours a night on average. And, you know, my, there's a rating, you fill out some information when you start the process. And I had severe clinical insomnia and I've dropped down to like one point over, how do I say it? There's a, there's a level one that there, that insomnia doesn't really exist. I'm only one point above that. Like that ends at like seven, I want to say. And I, I, my, like I'm at eight points right now or something like that. And I was in the twenties in terms of the severity of my insomnia. So again, I didn't reach for anything. I didn't react. I didn't give up. I stuck with it and it's, it's going great. And I would not have known, I would not have known uh, what was, what was here on the other side of the tunnel, unless I stuck with it. Okay. So there's, those are just some recent examples of um, some discomforts that I've worked through and really the wonderful bright lights that come if you stick with it. So when you're having some discomfort, um, do press pause, hit the pause button. Um, it's in the pause, the not doing anything, the not reacting to make the discomfort go away, that you have an opportunity to understand it as well as to gain confidence um, in the fact that you can allow it and um, that sometimes it will remain, but often it will abate when it's ready. And so that is important for you to know and practice and have experience with because when the next wave of discomfort comes, you'll know that it is not permanent, that it is not going to kill you, that it will eventually pass through and recede. Sure, it might come again, but but that's okay because you know what to do. Um, it has been very empowering for me to practice this. I'm not I'm not sure I'd go as far as to say that I enjoy discomfort, but what I would say is that understanding its source and then making choices about my thoughts and how I manage my emotions and what I do with my, my behavior, it brings a sense of peace and confidence that I am not at the mercy of whatever the challenge is or whatever the source of the discomfort is. I am not at the mercy of it. It is at my mercy because I know what to do with it and I can make decisions for myself and I can see a thought and notice a thought and not believe it. And I can have a strong emotion and not assign a narrative to it. And I know that it's not going to kill me and I can let it flow through me as uncomfortable as it is. And I know that it will dissipate and that I will be fine. So uh, press pause. And then we're going to get to the source and understand it because the discomfort is just there to give you information. It's there to tell you something. So we don't want to react to it, but we do want to investigate it. So you're going to, if you listen to the show, you're going to recognize some of these steps, um, but I'm going to go over them because this is sort of, uh, this method 
is how we work through things so that we don't keep repeating them. One of the things that happens to us and that it, it happened to me for, for the majority of my life leading up to the past few years was that I would have some sticky patterns that were causing me to suffer. And I knew that they were causing me to suffer, but I could not seem to extricate myself from the pattern. And part of that was because I was in the pattern and I didn't necessarily pause and I didn't necessarily really investigate it with the goal of altering it, changing it. And I didn't understand. I don't think that the pausing and the investigating is changing it because while you are doing that, you're not doing what you usually do. So whatever your normal pattern is with discomfort, while you're pausing and investigating, you're not going to be doing that normal pattern. So it's, it is very helpful to disrupt, disrupt a pattern and to keep disrupting it until disrupting it becomes more natural to you than having the pattern play out as it normally would historically. So when we investigate, we have a conversation with ourselves, And so um, we do want to coach ourselves, sort of step to the side, talk to yourself in a way that allows you to separate. It's an interesting concept. So I'll just say it this way, because I don't exactly know how, to, how else to say it, but you separate yourself from yourself. I'll, just, I'll use this. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I'm going to use the higher self. I'm going to say, separate your higher self, meaning the self that has access to your full brain and, and analysis and intuition and your history and just that, that part of you that is knowing and strong and has fortitude, that part of yourself, the part of yourself you access when you, you know, stuff gets real and talk to the part of yourself that has a more difficult time. So that's really what I'm talking about. There's the part of us that's like kind of a, kind of a soldier in a way. And then there's a part of us that just feels like, oh, like a shrinking, kind of like a shrinking child, because that does tend to live in all of us. And that's okay. That part of ourselves that the the child needs some support, needs encouragement, needs to be helped through things, needs to be asked questions so that it can understand what is going on that is causing uh, this discomfort to happen. So have a conversation with yourself and notice your thoughts. What are your thoughts? Your thoughts are, they're just thoughts, but because we experience life and the world mostly with our minds, they're also very powerful. So what are you thinking? Because changing what you're thinking, knowing what you're thinking, understanding it, knowing whether it is helpful or not helpful allows you to then go ahead and call BS on it if if you need to do that, because if it's an unhelpful thought, it's likely not true. And so you can call BS on it and then tell yourself the truth. What are you feeling? So we've talked a lot about how to identify feelings. Um, if you're still kind of practicing that, you can use any number of tools or charts or there's something called a jar of feelings you can order on Amazon to help you match descriptors with your actual emotions. 
Um, it's important to be able to name them and to know know what they are because they also, like thoughts, are powerful um, and can cause us to assign a narrative to them because we do tend to want to explain them because we want to make them go away. So we think, oh, I'm having this strong emotion um, and I want to, I'm going to tell a story about it because if I tell a story about it, then maybe I can figure out how to make it go away. When in reality, the the emotion's job is to be felt. And so if we feel it and name it, that is part of our investigation. And then what do you have the urge to do? Typically, when you have a thought that leads to a feeling or a feeling that leads to a thought, there there might be an urge to do something um, in, in response to the discomfort. And then what did you actually do? What, what did you have an urge to do? And then what did you actually do? And what was the impact on you and on others? That can help you kind of unravel what can be a confusing, invisible process, because sometimes it feels like we just eat or we just drink or we just sink into the couch and hours go by and we haven't been able to peel ourselves off of it. It seems like it just happens, but typically there is, there is a reason and a source. And then once we kind of understand where it's coming from, we then have the opportunity to address the source. And, you know, is it an opportunity to grow, for instance? So maybe it's, it's a challenge. Let's just call it, you know, any number of the human challenges that come our way. If we embrace a challenge and we use it as an opportunity to practice something, it is an opportunity to grow. And so um, because life is filled with challenges, wishing that we didn't have them or wishing that they would go away or bemoaning them when they arrive can rob us of the opportunity to grow. So just remember that if you're facing a challenge, it's an opportunity to practice and an opportunity to grow and growing is uncomfortable. Growing is uncomfortable. Just keep that in mind. So if you're uncomfortable, maybe you're growing. In which case you can potentially, maybe you don't like the discomfort, but you might be able to embrace it because you know that it's part of the growth process that you are experiencing. Is an opportunity to do something different. So perhaps you've been doing something for a long time and you've become, maybe it was okay for a while and now it's not okay. And perhaps the discomfort is telling you that maybe it's time to take a look at it or to do something different. And if it's a familiar discomfort, something that you're well aware of and other attempts to resolve it have not, have not taken, have not been effective for you, maybe it's time to try another approach. And maybe it's the approach you've been avoiding, the one you don't want to do. I I addressed that recently with um with my business and you know there's certain there's certain instructions for how to you know increase awareness of your business and a lot of it involves individual like reaching out to individual people and sending emails and messages and you all probably get those right you get those marketing emails and messages and maybe sometimes it's okay with you. And maybe sometimes you want to scream and tell the person not to email you. I think we all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. And, you know, being on the sending end of that, 
what I realized when I was talking to my business coach is that as I've been building my, uh, my coaching practice and, and the show and, um, and my writing, I've kind of, I've kind of tried a variety of things to bring awareness to it that have avoided that particular approach because it scares me. I'm introverted and, you know, my background is in operations and certainly I have some sales experience, but not this kind um, in terms of, you know, I've sold, I've owned businesses and I've sold for those businesses, but I'm, I'm literally selling, you know, myself or something that I have, you know, created from my heart. And it, it has been incredibly uncomfortable for me. And I told my, my business coach, um, I said, you know, I've, I think I've, I've run up against this a number of times and tried a variety of things to get around it. Like maybe if I do this, I won't have to, you know, send all those individual emails and messages and guess what? It didn't really work. So I'm, um, I'm back to a familiar discomfort and I am doing a different approach. The approach I've been, I've been told to do, but I resisted. So, you know, keep that in mind because if you've been avoiding something and if you've been avoiding it by telling yourself something like, oh, well, I'm just not that kind of a person or I'm just not somebody who likes to do that or whatever it is that we tell ourselves, it might be keeping you from really pushing through to the next place that you're meant to go. Um, So you are listening to Freedom for Humans. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host. And 
Today we're talking about sticking with it and quitting. <laughs> quitting quickly when that's time to quit. Um, yeah, so stick with it and also quit when that's the right thing to do. Um, okay, so we were just going through comfort with discomfort and um, you know, when it shows up that it could potentially be an opportunity. Um, in fact, most of the time, I'm going to say it's an opportunity. Um, it may be there to help you face a fear. And we do talk about fear. I'm going to, uh, I couldn't, I was trying to decide what, what to do for this particular show. And I was going to do a whole show on fear, which I'm still going to do because, Ooh, it's a little bugger. Um, but in this case, you know, fear that comes from a real threat. Uh, to your safety or survival. Okay. Like that, I totally get. I've had, I've had those things happen to me where um, my, my safety and my survival were truly threatened. They were some of the times when I was the most deeply fearful and terrified in my life. So I, I understand what that feels like. The kind of fear that I'm talking about here though, is not that kind of fear. It could be triggered by a past experience that was painful or traumatic. And the thought of going through something similar bathes you in terror. I had a spot show up in my lung. Um, I think it would have been in 20, maybe late 2020. It was pandemic for sure. And they were just shutting all the, they were shutting everything down. And if uh, you didn't have something acute, you know, you, you were, I was within a day or so when I had the surgery of not being able to have it because they were stopping doing those kinds of surgeries. Um, but but um, my cancer, anal cancer, can it, it typically, if it does go to stage four, some of the most common places are the liver, the bone, and the lung. And so when a spot showed up and the history of that spot, you know, I looked at the history of that spot, there was a there was circumstances where it could have been a metastasis from the original anal cancer. I was terrified. I was terrified because I was traumatized so, so much so from the cancer treatment that it wasn't so much fear of dying. It was fear of the kind of suffering that I experienced um, with the other cancer treatment and it was inoperable. So thankfully it, it was benign, but the spot was in a place that was inoperable. And so we're, we're talking about, you know, palliative, uh, probably palliative chemo and radiation and stuff like that. So I was, I was terrified. And that, that came from both knowing, having a past experience where I knew um, what cancer treatment was like. Um, and it also came from not knowing, right? Because you don't know, you don't know what it is. You don't know if it's malignant. And then, you know, even when you've been through something like cancer treatment, there's no way of really understanding what it's going to be until it's upon you. So it could be that kind of fear. It could be the fear of just making a mistake. Sometimes the fear of making a mistake or being embarrassed um, in front of other people, that's, I think, what keeps people uh, from doing public speaking, for instance, right, which is typically people's number one fear. It's a fear of making a mistake or being embarrassed. And, you know, what I say to that, I say, so what? So what? Let's make mistakes and not be embarrassed about it. Let's just make mistakes and make that be normal and acknowledge them and pick ourselves up and support each other and not judge ourselves and not judge each other. The fear of making a mistake should not hold us back 
from doing something that we want to do or trying something that we want to try. And then there's the fear that's manufactured by self-hate or the inner critic to give it credibility. When your inner critic tells you that, you know, you can't do something, sometimes it just brings some fear with it. Um, and it makes you believe it. It makes you believe the lie and it kind of immobilizes you. And of course it compels you to reach for anesthesia, uh, right. Which we've already gone over and that's a bummer. So, okay. So, so that's sort of the first piece is comfort with discomfort and working through and understanding the discomfort by using those steps. And then when do we choose to stick with it? So most of what causes us to quit comes from discomfort. It comes from discomfort in recovery in the, in the, in 12 step recovery, you know, we have lots of little slogans, um, which I know people make fun of, but I, I find them quite helpful really still. Um, we advise don't quit five minutes before the miracle. And what we're really saying is you never know, you never know what's coming. And if you quit, you, you literally could have been five minutes from the miracle and you just, you didn't know it because you didn't stick with it. You didn't stay. Now, most of us have lives that are repetitive and predictable in some ways or, or possibly in many ways. But again, we never know what the day will bring, which we might frame in a pessimistic way, like, ugh, what's next? Or, ugh, can, can I catch a break? Or we can long for the ordinary and then find ourselves suffocating in boredom with an urge to primal scream in our pillow. We are fickle creatures. It all, that all can happen in a matter of moments, right? To the same human. I have to say, as I've evolved and changed my life over the last several, several years um, to one that is far less predictable and repetitive, I have grown to pretty much crave novelty and newness and even disruption and to accept and welcome it because something unknown is coming next, which I don't know to me not knowing what is coming next has begun to feel great. And in that, I embrace the I don't know. Because in the I don't know, I mean, really anything is possible. And as an aside, when you don't know, say so. It's a complete sentence. Just like no is a complete sentence, so is I don't know. And listen, if you don't know, you can do some research or find an answer or ponder something or sleep think it, but maybe it's not even yours to solve or ponder or think about. Maybe it's somebody else's. And in that case, it's an excellent response. So if somebody's maybe trying to kind of pull you into their issues and let's say you, you've heard about this issue before and you, and maybe it's repetitive. Okay. I'm just going to say I had that situation. Um, in my relationship that I ended, um, there was a lot of repetition of the same types of problems. And toward the end, when, you know, I wasn't going to in- invest any further, right? Because it was an overspend. And I knew that I was in the process of, of disengaging and separating. I would, you know, w- when the sentence would start, well, what should I do about, or what am I going to do? Or what about this? I, I would just, I would listen. And then I would just sort of shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know, because here's the truth. A, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know certainly what's right for anyone else. Um, I, I, you know, I do my best to know what's right for me, but even that can be a stretch. So really, if I tell the truth, I don't know. And also, I don't want to spend my energy on it. It's, it's not mine to solve. And so I found that to be both truthful and freeing. Um, and so I, there's also, um, you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the ways in which we tend to limit ourselves, right? We can limit ourselves by limiting our interactions um, to people who we already know and are comfortable with. We can limit our experiences by not going out or not traveling or not striking up conversations with strangers. We can limit our desires by telling ourselves that maybe our dream is too big to dream and that it'll be impossible to make it an aspiration and then a goal and then to take active steps toward that goal. And once we've delivered all of that to ourselves, then why would we? Why would we stick with it, right? And weather the discomfort after we've told ourselves, well, it's too big of a dream to be, to, it's too big of a dream to dream anyway. And, you know, that came up for me after I came back initially from Malta and I, I really was wanting to live there um, at least part of the time. And I ran into somebody else in my building when I was still in the building in downtown Seattle. And I chatted with him briefly outside and he goes, well, is it a dream or is it an aspiration or is it a goal? And I, I just, I stood there for a minute and I said, well, it's definitely more than a dream and hmm, it's more than an aspiration. So I guess it's a goal. So, you know, that person, I don't know that person. We, we've, we see each other once in a while in, in the building, in the elevator and, you know, exchange a few comments and pleasantries. He's a, a very nice gentleman um, who I've always enjoyed when I ran into, but you know, had I not stopped and had that chat and been asked that question in that way at that time, would I have moved forward in the way that I did? I don't know. Because that really made me think, well, well, what do I really want? And I realized it was a goal that I was going to make it happen. Um, and so I did. And I still am. I'm still building the plane. I'm flying the plane and I'm still building the plane. Um, you can limit your confidence by telling yourself you're not enough of something or you're too much of another thing. That's, you know, uh, the inner critic loves to say, oh, well, you're too this or you're not enough of that. And then all of a sudden you've limited yourself. You can limit yourself by planning the life you really want and then delaying it until you retire or have a certain amount of money in the bank. And listen, sometimes that works out uh, for people. I've never you know, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Ultimately, I've, I, my family history and my own history and my own life experience tell me that it is uh, temporary and fragile, this life. And so I didn't want to put off the life that I wanted to some time in the future that may or may not actually exist. Um, sometimes what you really want can be done now and it will be uncomfortable. Yes, it will. And it's not going to work out exactly as you want it to or plan it, but dang, it will be an adventure and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it doesn't work out exactly like you planned or that you 
have challenges. You're going to have challenges no matter what. You might as well be living the life you want while you're working through those challenges. There was a a quote in um, John Wick 4, which I loved, by the way, I love that whole franchise, but um, 4 was like, yeah, it left no stone unturned. (laughs) I'm just going to say for all you John Wick fans. Um, And the death is something, uh, the death, the quote is something like those who cling to death live and those who cling to life die. Um, And I'm, you know, I don't know exactly how it's meant to be interpreted, but I am someone who, who clings to death. And what I mean by that is that I just know that it's a certainty and that it could come at any time. And that makes life and adjusting to whatever is going on and finding gratitude much more natural because I just don't take it for granted as much that I'm going to have another day and another day and so many more days ahead of me because I really don't know. So this idea that I'm here temporarily and that I will be gone at some point in the future, it kind of keeps me attached to wanting to create the life that I want right now and to live mostly in the moment. And when I find myself, um, you know, having negative thinking or feeling uncomfortable or, you know, the inner critic is maybe um, squeezed its way uh, back in, in I, I, I pause, I do, I pause and have a conversation with myself. Um, and I turn it around uh, because I don't really want to spend my precious time that way. So if you really want something, stick with it and don't mind the discomfort. Don't react to your inner critic. Don't believe fear when it's manufactured by self-hate. Don't believe that human life was meant to be comfortable. What if comfort is meant to be the exception and we just don't know it? What if we were never meant to really be comfortable? If you think about how we have evolved over the years from hunter-gatherers and shorter lifespans and all that stuff, it does tend to make sense that while we long for, search for, and build comfort, that it might not actually be our natural state. Okay. So, um, so that's, that's sticking with it and rolling that into how to become comfortable with discomfort because discomfort is typically what, what drives us to quit something. But what about when we're supposed to quit something? All right. So I named the episode, um, the last part of it, quit promptly, which, you know, whatever. When you get to it, you'll know it. I just, I put that because I, I definitely could have quit a lot sooner in a variety of situations. And I'll never know how my life would have been different or changed as a result I just look back and the way that I measure that I look back and I look at the amount of suffering that took that took place um, while I stayed in something, um, whether it was a marriage or a relationship or a job or um, a friendship or um, my relationship with my body, my relationship with food, those kinds of things. So that's kind of how I'm gauging, you know, quitting more quickly might ha- might have saved me some suffering, but, you know, we never really know. So Okay. So when to quit? We're re- going to return to the same process. You're uncomfortable. You have pressed pause and you are having an investigative conversation with yourself in order to understand the source. 
Okay. So let's talk about some of the kind of common places where this might show up. Um, It could be that the dynamics of a relationship are harming you um, physically or emotionally. This seems like it would be clear. It seems like when you hear those words, you might think, well, well, yeah, of course, of course, if I'm being harmed, I would, I would leave a a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a intimate relationship, or even a a work uh, related relationship that might be harming you emotionally. But sometimes it's not clear um, for many of us that we are being harmed. And if you are an empath like me, you are taking on the feelings of other people and you're literally experiencing the energy and the emotions of other people. And so you may be doing what empaths do, empathizing. And that can make it difficult to focus on your emotions and to um, experience and to put yourself first. So when I say experience, I mean experience yourself which is part of having this investigative conversation. So if you haven't um, cultivated self-love yet in a way that keeps it present a good bit of the time, you could be blaming yourself or trying to understand the mistreatment or trying to explain it. That is a road to nowheresville. You don't need to understand it only to recognize it's happening and then use that information to either set a boundary and collect additional information after you've set that boundary or to plan your exit from whatever the situation is. Also, you may have feelings of love for the other person, for a group of people, for your work team or your organization. I mean, you could have strong, positive feelings that, that, exist along with you being harmed. They, again, are not mutually exclusive. If they were, boy, wouldn't life be simpler if <laughs> if only one could happen at a time, but both can happen, both exist. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I have known for a long time because I've experienced it and I, I said a number of times to my partner, my most recent partner, as I could sort of see the way that things were going, Love is not enough. Love is not enough. Love is wonderful. And you can still have love in your heart for someone who is mistreating you or for a situation that is harming you. You can still have that and experience that. But I'm just going to say it does not conquer all. It doesn't. Um, There has to be some communication, some mutuality, a sense of belonging. And ultimately, you need to not be getting harmed. Um, on any consistent basis. I mean, certainly we all get some bumps and bruises in our relationships, but I'm talking about something that is sort of systemic um, in the relationship. And maybe it has always been present and maybe it's developed more recently, which can be even more confusing because if something wasn't always that way, it can take a while for us to realize that it now is that way and that Maybe it's not going to resolve or it's not going to resolve in time for us to be okay. So if you are being harmed physically or emotionally by any situation, do have this, do this investigation because it might be time to quit, might be time to go. If you're in a situation where you cannot show up with integrity and integrity just means wholeness, 
Um, you need to be able to be yourself and have that be accepted. If you have to perform or use a persona or an image in order to be accepted, you will be exhausted eventually. And you're never truly known, which will rob you of a sense of belonging. It is, it is hard, if not impossible, to truly belong if you're not showing up as yourself. You can't find your people if you don't fully show up as yourself. You can't experience true belonging, true acceptance if you're not showing up whole with integrity. So if, if th- that's exhausting. And so if you're feeling drained and you're feeling like you're feeling like you're putting on a front and that the real you is living behind that front, you know, maybe just take a look at that and follow this process and have a conversation with yourself to determine whether, you know, perhaps you can go ahead and drop that and show up as yourself and be fully accepted and everyone will be delighted. You might, you might want to give that a try. And if you do give it a try and you're rejected, that is informational. Um, so try not to let that devastate you. It can feel pretty terrible and pretty wounding, but it's it's great information. Um, if you feel like an outsider, even after some time and experience with something, um, be curious about why. So in this case, similar to, to not being able to show up as yourself, let's say you've been showing up and showing up and showing up. And you're expecting to become more comfortable or more integrated in a certain situation or group or a job. And it's just not, it just doesn't seem to be happening. It could be your own kind of insecurities holding you back that are causing you to not fully kind of drop the persona and be yourself. Um, And you'll need to let them see you and know you, or it could be that it's simply not for you. And when something is not for you, it is absolutely okay to, to quit. And to move on um, and to, to do something else. Um, perhaps you are engaging in something out of a sense of obligation and commitment, but it drains you where you spend, you spend your energy, but you don't earn much. Um, you know, maybe you've always done it and other people enjoy it, but maybe you don't want to do it anymore and you would like to stop. But the only reason that you don't is you fear disappointing people. Well, I can tell you that being one of my core fears that drove my anxiety, that drove um, self-hate and kept self-hate around for a a great portion of my life. Um, (laughs) Disappointing people is uncomfortable, but that's really it. We know what to do with discomfort, right? When we've practiced, we know what to do with it. So it's okay. Even if they are actually disappointed, it'll be okay. They'll be okay. And it will become a thing of the past. So we can quit that thing. And after we weather the little bit of discomfort that comes with it, it will feel great. Um, Doing something because you think you should, but you don't enjoy it. I'll just talk really quickly about exercise. I don't, I don't do anything I don't like anymore. Um, It's important to move our bodies, of course, but there are endless forms and choices of physical activity indoors, outdoors on machines and equipment, sans equipment, with and without shoes, um, with others, alone. I have quit all exercise that I don't enjoy. I walk, I do yoga, I stretch. I'm doing some vagus nerve uh, stretching right now that's for your rest and digest um, systems. And 
you know, I don't know. I'm going to keep doing it. I, it's hard to know if it's helping, but I suspect that it is. Uh, sometimes I do a little strength, strength training. I don't count how many days I do this or that, or for how long I've done it. I like to feel a certain level of strength and stamina and flexibility. And, and that's pretty much it. Um, so if I don't really, if I don't like it, then I don't do it. Um, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to just ponder something. What is something that you find yourself wishing you could quit? What do you wish you could quit? So ask yourself that question and maybe more than one thing pops up. So write them down or voice record them. Um, however, you kind of document important things for yourself, write them down, the things that you don't want to do anymore. And then give this process a try and ask yourself if it might be time to quit. Um, and also, you know, you, the answer might be no. The answer might be, ugh, actually, I should stick with this. I was just reacting to the discomfort. The discomfort made me want to quit, but I don't actually want to quit. So this idea that we can acknowledge the discomfort, press pause, do some investigation, learn about ourselves, learn about the source, and then make our decision based on that information is is very freeing. It will build confidence and it also will propel you forward. All right. That's all we have time for. I hope that you have enjoyed the show today and that you've heard something that is helpful to you and that you can use in your life. Uh, you can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com. You can find me across social media at GTO coaching. I would love to hear from you. I would love to have a chat with you about what's going on and what's maybe not working so well for you right now. Um, I have an, a really fun new program called the Freedom Series, and it is 12 weeks to unconditional self-acceptance. So if you're interested in a, a structured, momentous program that takes you through all of the big milestones that I work through in order to get to this place of unconditional acceptance, I am here to help you. And I look forward to doing that. So have a great week. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.